All the girls are complicated. Everyone is precious too, and you might get lucky if you do. Oh, you might get lucky if you do. Find the one that makes you laugh. Find the one that takes your breath where you won't get everything that you want. Oh, but you'll need one to do the part. Hello. And welcome to the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Laurie Norris, your host for this episode, number 79, all about our topic, a topic our listeners have been requesting from us for a long time, Beyonce. Hope you all enjoyed last month's conversation on the woman's Bible. And if you enjoyed the episode, be sure to review it on iTunes and like us on Facebook. I have a feeling you're going to love this episode. I know I'm super stoked for it. Joining me today are two brand new panelists, Tareva Johnson and Ashley Love. Hi, ladies. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi. Tareva, you're up first. Hi, my name is Tareva Johnson. I am from Fayetteville, North Carolina, but I've spent the better part of a decade, this last decade, in Athens, Georgia, as a graduate student at UGA. I'm in the English department where I focus on African-American literatures from the 20th century. And right now, I'm writing my dissertation on James Baldwin and what it means to practice black transnationalism that is constitutive of black identities based on regional belonging, perhaps even more so than national belonging, and manifests itself and gains a lot of its power from black cultural production and black music, basically the predecessor and source material of all American music and how Baldwin and three rappers I really love, J. Cole from my hometown of Fayetteville, Chance the Rapper and Kendrick Lamar perform this either mobility that's not really moving, that's more emotional, intellectual and or actual mobility in ways that helps create more liberatory spaces for their listeners and black Americans and people of the black diaspora writ large. So that's me and my studies, but important to today's conversation about Beyonce, I am a card carrying member of the Beehive and (laughs) it was my honor to get the special pre-sale code. I was technically able to buy tickets up to four to the on the run tour, on the run two tour, but I didn't, I didn't because money and because responsibilities, I might. I might because like that's that's me and and academia and Beyonce if uh Tareva if you get some of those um I'm willing to pay you in cake and pie this time yes (laughs) a little backstory Tareva and I are friends and years ago on the Kanye uh, Kanye West tour where Kendrick opened for him Tareva took me and I I repaid her for the ticket by baking her a different cake and one pie I think exactly um so uh, for like a, a year, so it was great. <laughs> it was at least four months, and it was wonderful. It was a little sad because I had all of these wonderful treats, and sometimes no one to share them with. But it was it was good. It was good, and the show was amazing. Okay, so Ashley, you were not a part of this cake economy, but tell us a little bit <laughs> about yourself. Well, uh, thank you for having me. My name is Ashley Love, and I am a transplant originally from Columbus, Ohio, um, here in Athens for my PhD in educational theory and practice. So my research interests um, pretty much reside at the intersection of critical and cultural theory, teacher education, um, and early childhood education. So I look at black feminism in education, uh, feminism broadly in education, asset-based pedagogies, which are culturally um, and spiritually relevant to the student population. And I also look at cultural theories surrounding um, performance, like how we perform and move in the world. And um, and that led me specifically to the performance between student and teacher, the interactions uh, between student and teacher in the classroom. And, oh, I guess, Relevant to this discussion, um, I have I am not a member of the Beehive, 
Um, I don't have a card. I don't know if Teresa has a physical card either, but you know, it's fine. Listen, don't <laughs> don't underestimate my stand up and think that I, I wouldn't put it on my own. <laughs> but I've been a fan um, since her Destiny's Child days, and no, 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 and um, yeah. So I've, I've followed her music pretty much throughout the duration of her career. Um, so I was really excited to to come on to this discussion as a panelist. That that is so awesome, and I am so stoked to have both of you guys on today to talk about this because. While uh, many people can attest, I am a total stand for the Lemonade album, and, I, and I've been quoted as saying I think it was the best movie that was released in America in 2016. Um, I don't actually know that much about Beyonce's earlier work as just sort of a pop star, because Veen and a rhetorician here in Athens, Georgia, uh, who's also uh, an unrepentant hipster, I, 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 for the longest time, only liked things that no one else liked, and it was like the rule. So I am jazzed that we are going to talk about one of the most popular human beings on the face of the earth. Tariva, because yeah. I don't have a very solid foundation in Beyonce studies, and I imagine some of our readers could probably use a brush up too, could you give us a little bit of a rundown on uh, what Queen Bee's career has been like, and how did you first experience her and her work? I would love to. So, <laughs> I, I'll get to the question of how I first experienced her within my general overview of her biography, so I'll start with Girls' Time. Girls' Time formed in 1990. It was a large crew of rappers and singers that was eventually cut down to six and then four after a loss to Star Search. And we hear a little bit of that, right, on her self-titled album from 2013. In the, in the visual component, we see a little bit of their performance at Edmund Mann, you know, talking about this hip-hop rapping group, Girls' Time. And it goes right into the Three Stars Flawless track where she's uh, later quotes Shimamanda Adichie and really is seen as sort of like a coming out of her self-identifying as a feminist. But it all started in 1990 with Girls' Time and, and that really important performance to the group. So from then, Matthew Knowles took it upon himself after that loss to train and work with the girl group made up of Beyonce, Kelly, Latavia, and LaToya. They performed in backyards, churches, and headliner salon, which was the hair salon that Beyonce's mother, Miss Tina, owned. So hyper-black places, right? Places where black folks practice lots of creativity, lots of community, and a feminist space, I would argue, of the hair salon. And church. Black women carry the black church. So thinking about these spaces as being formative to these young girls and then moving forward, making a somewhat large leap to 97 to when the nation would know about this girl group and they would be signed as Destiny's Child to Columbia Records. They would release four full studio albums, release an album of remixes and their greatest hits called Number Ones. But ultimately, they would disband there would be hiatuses. There would be litigation from former members targeted at Kelly, Beyonce, and Mr. Knowles. And ultimately, the three remaining members of Destiny's Child, Beyonce, Kelly, and Michelle, would release their own solo projects. So they were mainly operational from 97 to 2006. And their most recent performance, which I loved, lots of people did, to see their reunion was at the 2013 Super Bowl within Beyonce's set. So if we're talking about Beyonce's solo career and how I first came to, to know her, it was during the Destiny's Child era of her career. It was No, No, No. It was the music video of her on the swing, Wyclef John during the remix. It was her cameo with the other girls on Smart Guy. That's when she first caught my attention and when I would be following her work, but I wasn't quite a stand yet. So in her solo career, she started acting. She was in Gold Member, the Austin Powers movie. She had a song on the soundtrack, Work It Out. It was her 
one of her early solo records. She also was on Jay-Z's single as they were a new item um, in their relationship. The 03 Bonnie and Clyde was sort of commemorated or solidified in this particular single, her being featured on it. She was also in the movie The Fighting Temptations. And so just from here on out, right, there were six studio albums, lots of creative music videos. Beyonce does so much with the visual component of music. Starting with the I Am Sasha Fierce album, there were videos for all of her singles. And then with the last two albums, complete visual albums were just part and parcel of what was going to be released to fans with those particular projects. Multiple, multiple tours, five headlining, three co-headlining, three residency shows, and then a filmography consisting of 11 projects between her as an actor or a voice actor. Dude, that is exhausting just listening to it. She's like the busiest woman in the entire universe. Right. Yeah. It's a lot. That is it's a lot. lot. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to come back to a point that I think might be really relevant for our conversation about Limited a little bit, but the the flawless performance, uh, the three star flawless performance. I remember there's a bunch of backlash from a a ton of old school feminists afterwards, like Annie Lennox lost her mind about calling Beyonce feminism light, L-I-T-E. She had to be really precise about that. And and even Bell Hooks came out and and basically ragged on Beyonce claiming to be a feminist because it seemed like they were both, uh, Lennox and Hooks, were, were taking issue with the sexualization of uh, Beyonce's own body in the performance because she was wearing that a tight little uh, bodice jumpsuit sort of thing. Right. And they both called her out for, like, you can't, you're just objectifying yourself. This is not feminism. It's just some reductive post-feminist girl power stuff. And I got to wonder, like, I paid attention to that and was really kind of grossed out by Annie Lennox because it seemed like she was just perpetuating uh white gatekeepers uh, making making a black woman's artistic statement all about the black woman's body. And so I started paying more attention because I wanted to see how Beyonce responded. And it seems like she responded with Lemonade. <laughs> so True. do you guys have any memories of, of that moment or any memories of, of what that felt like as a Beyonce fan instead of like me like an outsider just looking in? I definitely remember the Hooks commentary and her sitting on a panel um, with Janet Mock discussing mm-hmm. hypersexuality and Beyonce and hyperconsumerism, right? This idea that if sex sells, Beyonce is offering herself up. She's on the auction block. She's a sex worker. She's all of these things that we might attribute to very negative relationships with the black body and um, theft and consumerism and capitalism. And I know it was sort of received in a lot of the communities I'm a part of and a lot of the cultural theorists and critics I read as a generational thing in that All of us can critique capitalism, but ultimately, specifically bell hooks, operate in it. We all operate in it and are in some ways indicted by it. And a lot of hooks critique was received and and thought of as a little disingenuous or a little um, like hating. Yeah, good. I'm, I have to wonder if, if it was like a second wave attack on third wave because there is no fight like fights among feminists, you know? <laughs> so brutal. Um, I guess what I recall from that, the, the series of conversations surrounding um, that particular performance was, um, and I, I have included these links for you as well and for all to, um, you know, kind of, take a look at and gather their own opinions about. But um, Lennox kind of says, you know, I would call our performance feminist, feminist light. Um, and then spells it L I T E 
I'm sorry, it's tokenistic to me. I mean, I think she's a phenomenal artist. I just love her performances, but I'd like to sit down with her. I think I'd like to sit down with quite a few artists and talk to them. And, and you know, and I think that in a way it's mothering. It's this, it, it has its feminist tone, but it also has a very um, privileged tone as well as condescending tone to say, you know, we are gatekeepers of feminism and this person isn't truly vetted, this performance, you know, like they weren't anticipating Beyonce to come out and to have the display and to proclaim, you know, or announce herself as a feminist. And the fact that it's a vetting process makes it problematic to me. And I think what we talk about or during our discussions about feminism and the different sects of feminism, um, i.e. womanism, black feminism, Chicana feminism, these sorts of things. Um, it's important that we understand that certain groups um, require a certain level of attention or care because their experiences are very distinct from other people's experiences. And so for Annie Lennox to comment on what kind of feminism Beyonce's performing was problematic because her because their subject positions, if you will, um, are are very different, and because there's no, I mean, Beyonce's response to that was quite simple, where she says, um, you know, she put the definition of feminism in her song. It's not for you know propaganda. It was to say that you know she's. It, it was in simplistic terms. It means someone who believes in equal rights for men and women. Um, and so she was, she was showing us, I think, that she had an entry-level understanding of feminism and that she was ready to kind of peel back some of the layers of complexity with feminism and, and um, wrestle with it. And we see that in her music. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think... Um... The more that, I, that I've listened to Lemonade in preparation for this, the more I'm convinced that Six Inch, um, is that the name of the, is it Six Inch Heels? I'm really awful at titles. Six Inch. Six Inch, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that six, six Inch is a response to that, the way that her body was sexualized in, or like, it was assumed that she had to be some sort of uh, prostitute um, in a in a very sort of theoretical sense, if that was her form of feminism, and so she plays on those tropes, the visual images, and and the way that she modulates even her her voice in that song, to me is just uh, holding up a middle finger to all those people who said no, you're doing it wrong, and you're 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 doing it a way that we don't like, and I. I also just really, really love that song. So yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good point to turn to Lemonade in particular. So, Tariva, is there anything that we need to know about the movie, the vid- visual album? Is that what she called it? The visual album? Yes. Okay. Is there anything that we need to know about that specifically? About how maybe she's engaging with various forms of feminism and what kind of feminism is she actually talking about? Okay. So Lemonade comes out in 2016. It's rolled out after Beyonce's highly anticipated Super Bowl performance of Formation. And then we know the imagery of that Formation performance was Black Panther-esque, very um, militant in the dress and was calling on ideas of black feminism and black nationhood if you think about the black panthers and the ways that women were a part of that vanguard they were the driving force and the one of the main communities being served and serving others within that group um it's a very powerful set of images to call upon for that performance and i believe this is correct formation the music video comes out like the night before or the same day as the Super Bowl performance. So we have the visual of her on primetime television for this major sporting event. And then you have the visual that she created to be paired with this song. Blue Ivy is featured. She's on top of a police car floating in water. 
she's calling attention to the killings of unarmed black boys and girls. And there's clearly this rhetoric of, you know, I don't want to say defiance, but resistance to what's resistance. happening in the world. Yeah, resistance. Mm-hmm. A counter narrative so, for sure. Right, right. So that formation is the song that we get to introduce Lemonade, the visual album. But it's also positioned as the very last song on the album. It's a little bit apart from everything we get that precedes it, that has all of these themes like anger and resentment. The album is organized around these very large emotional landscapes and also regions in the U.S., regions in space, regions in the Western Hemisphere, really, calling upon diasporic blackness, South America, North America, Louisiana, Alabama, Houston, Texas, where she hails from. And so I just feel like the album is a prelude or or working up to, and an article that I'm recommending and I'm linking to at the end of this episode is by Zandria Robinson. And she talks about how Lemonade as a visual album, as an audio album leads up to formation. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about what all of these different emotions, images, engaging with the mothers of the movement, having them appear, having lots of members of young and middle-aged black Hollywood Um, the female members of that contingent appear. Uh, Serena Williams twerking in a wonderful, Mm -hmm. wonderful moment. (laughs) So much calf, so much gam. It's beautiful. (laughs) So... I think this is a great point point to introduce. So we talked about this episode before we started recording because you can't not talk about Beyonce. We could spend hours, right? And we had to get some of that out of our system. So one of the things that we talked about beforehand were a couple of questions that that you guys had in in mind. And one of them was, um, at at what point did you know that, as you put it, Ashley, did she care, does Beyonce care about us? And when you when you said us, that was you and Tariva and other other black women. So I want to know, do you th- when did you when did you realize that Beyonce cared about you in that way. Like her specifically girl power feminism was about black women. Um, well I'll say this. I'll preface I'll preface my statement by saying I won't question her overall talent, um, or at what point I felt her music took a more artistic turn. Um, but her artistry, but I guess I should also say that representation matters, right? So even back mm-hmm. to her moments in girl time um, when she was on Smart Guy and she was the love interest. And I mean, those, those moments to me growing up mattered because they vividly showed me a reflection of myself. And so in those ways, I thought at least she's speaking to me in some way, you know, and as a minor, someone who's, um, like you said, Matthew Knowles, her father, was in control and managing, you know, her entire um, career up to, you know, more recently. And so I think she had small moments where, you know, she showed us. I mean, even the Survivor album when she was with Destiny's Child where they had, you know, they, they sang Survivor and Independent Women. And then later with Run the World girls on five in 2011 and 12 but i think lemonade was more explicit feminine formation was more explicit um you know that particular performance with feminist um kind of projected to the world those were very specific intentional moments where she kind of it was a convergence of art of memory because we remember these moments right visually we hear them and um, she's also, she's got the cachet and, and, and celebrity. So she's able, her songs are catchy and we all know the lyrics to them. Um, but I would say formation because I'm not that card carrying member of the beehive formation <laughs> is when I really started to pay attention to her because I felt like her songs were talking to me and her artistry was showing me something. Um, and what I saw was Yamanja 
who is the Yoruba goddess of the sea and fertility, um, which are yellow dressed as she's walking around with the water scenes. Um, what I saw were other deities in these other black female bodies, um, other goddesses. I mean, the way that the carefulness and the meticulous ways in which she engaged history, African, you know, religiosity and spirituality and pop culture. Um, I mean, they were just, I mean, someone did their homework. And so it was impressive to kind of see that because it was also kind of that the intersections of conversations around race, conversations around the black church, um, conversations around um, sexuality, um, unapologetic female, black female sexuality, and um, this dialogue, this intergenerational dialogue. I mean, she had Zendaya, and she had um, other little girls who, you know, like Treva was saying, who were a part of the, the, you know, the younger, fresher Hollywood scene. But it was, it was, we haven't seen that done since, Oprah, you know, invited all of the black female um, actresses, singers, and, you know, public visible figures to her home years ago. And Patti LaBelle belted out. They had like a, a church hour where they all, you know, took the mic and sang. I mean, it was somewhat like that, except Beyonce was able to curate that in a way that included all of us because we all related to police brutality, because this is all things, these are all things that we as people are consuming, right? It's not hard to log onto Facebook and see somebody being shot. They're streaming it live. So, I mean, she did it in a very careful, considerate way. And, and to me, it was loud and clear. And, and sadly enough, I, I, Tarima, I think, saw it 20,000 times before I brought myself to <laughs> I really hadn't seen it, so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm do it because Tariva has title and she <laughs> and she's gonna let me see it and it's gonna be good. But I, I was apprehensive at first because I thought, well, you know, flashing lights that say feminist are okay when you're saying this is something that I'm dabbling in, and then these performances thereafter were kind of her way of showing me, like, hey pay attention to me. And I think Tariva and I were also alluding this to like the woke movement, right? She yeah. has so much power in her presence that she's able to elevate an entire movement by just including Ken in her music video, you know? And I think it kind of hopefully um, sharpens people's under basic level understanding of feminism, black feminism. Okay, so I think that's that's beautiful and it's brilliant, but I'm hung up on something that my brain started uh, the wheel, the hamster wheel in my head started turning when you mentioned Oprah and her celebration of uh, yeah. black celebrities. It, there was a connection that I was starting to make in my brain, and I hope you guys can help me tease this out. So Oprah okay. became, well, the most powerful person in the in the known universe, but. She used a lot of that power to spread a, a, a t sort of spirituality that seems deeply embedded in, in black religiosity that mm -hmm. it, it would seem to me that Beyonce is also starting to pick up on. And it might be one of these things that uh, the, the gatekeepers of mainstream white culture don't understand because we don't know the lingo yet. And... and there's a there's an attraction and there's a power there, but there's also um, a tendency for people to exoticize th this this black uh, this black female spiritual experience because uh, the mainstream culture doesn't know exactly how to talk about it. Do you mm -hmm. think there are elements of that in Lemonade, in specifically in like the ways that? Uh, black spirituality is represented in the videos for the for the for the movie. Um, so I think it is some sort of window into religiosity and the role of of women in general. Um, in any church that I've ever been to, irrespective of race or denomination, women play a role. They're always present in some way, Sunday school teachers. Um, I, I just always see women around. And so 
I think that we often dismiss it, I guess, um, the, the, the stronghold, like kind of how we as women keep religion alive. Um, not to say that men don't either, but um, I see it most definitely when I'm in a church um, in Salvador da Bahia in Brazil, where, you know, with, within the Yoruba community, um, and that's kind of the backstory is um, Bahia is the second blackest um, population outside of the continent of Africa and Nigeria. And so there was a huge number of slaves brought to Brazil, the most out of the transatlantic slave trade in general. And um, so there's a syncretism um, and that's what Beyonce shows. And so there's this syncretic way that African traditions, Catholicism, and just this evolution of time and, you know, modernity, the, the ways that we, they play on and off of each other. Um, and black women keep the church together. They are the financial gatekeepers. They make sure that the church is funded and they also sell food to fund the church. They clean the church. They prepare all of, you know, the sacraments. I mean, it's just, it is a very important, it is through women that the church survives, right? Like the lights stay on, the people stay well-versed, you know, they're writing the actual verses and incantations. And so it is, but this isn't dissimilar from black churches in the United States. And so um, the history of black churches um, was pretty much just any, any gathering spot, any gathering spot where people could sing, dance, rejoice, um, and blend their African beliefs with Christianity, um, that is kind of where that, that was the beginning of the black church. And so women were really played a role in the storytelling aspect of it and the organization of the church. And so when Beyonce demonstrates what these spaces look like in terms of history and place, and she, she's kind of locating herself geographically, but historically in Louisiana, in these old Southern spaces. And it's not by coincidence, right? Like she's kind of taking us back to uh, possibly post-slavery days um, and then taking us through through time. But I think the intentionality of her her ability to recognize that you know, women, and it could be a signal to say, we do so much. Why are we so oppressed as women, as black women in the church? Like, why, why is our sexuality so problematic? Why are our opinions, right. um, leadership, why is all of that? So, you know, I, in one of the, the articles that I read, it was talking about the complexity and duplicity of sexual gender relations in the African-American church. Um, and so it's this sexual gender oppression that occurs, but it's not just in the black church, but I think the way that she takes it up is she's like, you know, I think everybody can relate to this. You know, I think anyone who sits and watches the, you know, lemonade on repeat will get it because we can all relate to that. I mean, like I said, I think women in general, um, carry churches. We, we are, we are life givers and we, it is, it is through us that we also, um, kind of, I guess, uh, teach our children and teach our children's children about religion too. Yeah, the, mothers, the old saying, the mothers carrying on not just the actual physical day to day existence of the church, but being the the bearers of tradition um, mm -hmm. for, for all. I'm going to be an essentialist and a general generalize here and say for all culture cultures all races this is this is sort of a, a universal experience and it seems like what beyonce is showing us is a black american version of of this experience mm -hmm. yeah i agree in, in formation okay we have to talk about though some of the ways that she's making in in what is a feminist favorite phrase the personal political throughout the rest of the album because there is a little bit of backstory on how Lemonade came to be. It wasn't just about uh, black female empowerment. It was in direct response to yeah. 
to an elevator fight. <laughs> True. <laughs> to the struggle. <laughs> to the struggle we can relate to. Yes, the most yes. important fight in all of contemporary pop culture because it gave us three of the greatest albums of this century so far. Um, so, uh, how do you guys think Beyonce is doing that, is making her personal political for the rest of us through through Lemonade and through the, the journey through um, experiencing a partner's infidelity and the, the, the path that that relationship then takes, how she turns that narrative into something bigger and something more universal, but also still very culturally specific. So I wanted to just jump in and say, in a funny but not so funny way, but like, I feel like she's been giving us, I don't know who she was dating before Jay-Z, she's kept it pretty much under wraps, but they put her through some things too early on because she's had some sappy ballads that made you want to just, um, <laughs> just <laughs> melt into a puddle. I mean, she, she has a long-standing history of uh, bad relationships, we just don't know the other guy. <laughs> I I don't co-sign that speculation into <laughs> love life at all. Um, I just I don't have anything to say in that regard. But what I will say, hater, yes, lemonade is about betrayal, but it's also about salvation and redemption, and sort of harking back a little bit to the conversation we were just having about spirituality in the album. My favorite definition of Christianity comes from theologian O'Berry Hendricks, and he talks about mm-hmm. making the people's needs holy, treating the people's mm-hmm. needs as holy, and using that as a daily governing practice as just part of humanity. So when I think about the ways that Beyonce has made her own personal pain and given it so much reverence and made it both heartbreaking and beautiful within the lyrics and visuals of this project, but also uh, tiptoeing a little bit into my personal project with Baldwin. In talking about James Baldwin's work, I talk about this insider-outsider dynamic of Black musical traditions. And because anti-Blackness, white supremacy, chattel slavery, Jim Crow, all of the ways that social control has been exerted against and to the destruction of black bodies, but not the spirit, soul, and vibrance of black life in general. Um, You've had all of these things that um, I don't know, sort of combined, right? In the art. And so when I think about the insider-outsider dynamic, one example that Baldwin goes back to is the blues. And it's this idea that you can witness to and attest to your pain, but you have to leave enough room to be just outside of it so other people can enter. They need you to and witness. And access it. You need to, mm-hmm. Yeah, they, you need to make it accessible. Or at least some of the great artists like Billie Holiday and Bessie Smith, in Baldwin's opinion, in my opinion, make their pain accessible. And so it's usable and has sort of a utility to it in its, in its present moment and its afterlives. And so when I think about what Beyonce did with this album, I see her working within black musical traditions, of course, but particularly the blues singer in a way that we can both see her pain, but also she literally gave us the visuals to see ourselves and what's happening in black America, particularly within some of her lyrics about anger, resentment, redemption and ways we might access all of those emotions through her personal story and through our own healings, perhaps, you know, jump-started by listening to or looking at or going to her tours for this particular project. And I also want to say something about feminism and and eliminating the politics of citation, which Ashley knows more about and is more articulate about than me. But when I think about, I think I see citation related to religiosity and spirituality too when I think about the Bible as an intertextual text and a multi-genre text and you Mm -hmm. know you have your epistles and you have your straight narrative and your parable and you have uh, your more expository writing Um, when we think of it in in those terms and we think about the ways that Beyonce has literally weaved multiple voices the poet 
Warshawn Shire in here, the visuals of the director, Melina. Um, I can see mm. influence from her female family members and her friends and sisters and cousins and group mates. Um, you have a couple male voices or male presences like Jay-Z or Malcolm X talking about the condition and plight of black women. But just in terms of citation and what it means to sort of stress the collective over the individual, which is sort of an antithesis to an American or Western viewpoint about rugged individualism or what it means to do something on your own. Because Beyonce now, for better or for worse, is a corporation and she is a collective. And I see myself in her and what she projects out into the world and some of the artistic risks that she takes to tell parts of black women's stories. So I don't know, Ashley, if you wanted to say a little bit about citation, but I was thinking about that a lot in a couple of conversations we were having. Uh, I agree. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, I'm in the business of citation. And so, um, you know, my mentors, my advisors, um, that is one, and, and in black feminism in general, um, it is crucial and vital to your work that you show whose work you yours rests upon. And so I don't know anything about mainstream feminism, but in black feminism, it is unheard of to just come out into the world independent and to take us all the way back to the beginning where we talk about bell hooks resist initial resistance to beyonce i was at one of those panels with bell hooks with janet mock it was fabulous um and it made me think about how one's mind can change and she said that her mind was changing with each discussion um but i also recall just from my knowledge of hooks work that she started with a book called Feminism is for Everyone. And then she realized that she needed to go, you know, to, to, to later say um, <clears throat> that, you know, there, there is a thing called black feminism and there are issues um, with this kind of dominance and power structure relationship that black people have had with, you know, mainstream Western societies and there need there need those issues need to be you know kind of teased apart. Um, but I, I will say, <clears throat> as far as citations and her work, um, I want to throw out there multiple things, starting with the church. Um, black people see the church as a space of healing, a space of community, a space of education, and a space of joy and and, and jubilance. And so I think it's important when we when we kind of look at what her what Beyonce's Lemonade video did, um, that it literally fulfilled all those needs. Um, and so I think it's important also to note that after, or actually not even after, while Lemonade was in circulation, within hours, there was such a thing called the Lemonade Syllabus. And it was basically a bunch of scholars and classroom teachers who got together and wanted to unpack her themes, you know, visually, theoretically, um, you know, in terms of religion, religion. And it was kind of like this collection of work that was, that spoke to black girlhood, spoke to black womanhood, um, the historical and contemporary manifestations of it, the kind of analog in-person um, interactions and manifestations and the digital ones as well. Um, I actually just finished um, and submitted, woo, a chapter on um, digital black feminism and how it's manifested with younger people and it's intergenerational in nature, but it lives through social media platforms and the internet. And so I think looking at the lemonade syllabus, I mean, it was like that, that this is a way of, of throwing out the work that happened before us, the Combahee River Collective, Audre Lorde, Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, you know, I could, I could go bell hooks, I could go on and on and on. And that, that was the beauty of that syllabus is, I mean, it was, it was created by Candace Bimbo and um, she, I mean, it was downloadable. It was free. It was, it was just amazing. Um, and she also actually been, is it Bimbo Bimbo? Treva? I think it's Bimbo. Bimbo. Um, she also created a response to 444, which is Jay-Z's response to Lemonade. Um, and so no one, everybody comes, everybody has a feminist 
um, respond to everybody comes for anyone who comes for Beyonce. So that's why I've always preserved right. my judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's yes. great. It's wonderful. She's great. <laughs> and, and in that same breath, I would never come for Bella. <laughs> I know way too better than that. Um, but I think too, um, you know, talking about like this, this idea of, of lemonade, um, you know, it's, it's just this idea of when life gives you lemon, make lemonade, you know, live into and your And that's flourish. a little sound bite we get from Mrs. Carter, Jay-Z's yeah. grandmother. So there's a matriarch giving us this sort of riff on this, this saying. Yeah. And, you know, so I think, I think there's just so much there. The citations are there. She does it. I mean, that, I think to and to go back to your question, when her music kind of demonstrated that she loved us, it was when, I mean, I have a, I have a panel, not a panel, but a committee full of black women, black feminist scholars, um, phenomenally talented um, women who I would never think to make or write anything without citing them. <laughs> and it's because there's power in naming your inspiration and your sources. And so it is an academic thing, but it is a thing in real life, too. I mean, we aren't who we are independent of, of all of these other things in the world. I am who I am because of Edith Love and Beatrice Love and Marcy Love and, you know, and Susie Love. And I could go on and Tina Love. So um, Tommy Love, listen, I got so many relatives and all those women fed in, you know, I'm a Jean Love. Who, who They fed into who, who I am. You know, Drusilla Love taught me to be um, stern and powerful. And so if I ever had, you know, if, so sh if I ever had a citation about strength and fortitude, it would, it would include all of these women and it would, it would quote them and cite them in the ways that, you know, um, Jay-Z's grandmother was cited. But then when I'm drawing on inspiration for, from people who have literally taken paper um, and pen and created work for me to read, work for me to read to my daughter, work for me to read to my students, like Lord and Hooks and Patricia Hill Collins and, you know, Cynthia Dillard, Bettina Love, Gloria Latson Billings. When I'm teaching my teachers, when I'm doing all these things, their work is in my work. So um, Beyonce did the right thing. You know, she, in order to flourish, you have to acknowledge who helped you get there in a spiritual, emotional, educational way. So it could be, you know, black kids, and Bell Hooks talks about this too in her work, um, teaching to transgress. She was, you know, recalling her experience as a black girl in sex memories of her teachers being in her community with her, saying, these women were at church with me. I saw them in the grocery store. They lived down the street from me. They taught my cousins, my sister, me, my, you know, my, my, maybe my uncle, um, and and so it was a, it was a communal thing. Education was a communal thing. It, it happened on the corner. It happened on your stoop in your backyard. It happened at the church. And I think when you think about lemonade as a as this visual um, representation of of learning, of um, joy, of redemption and salvation, it happened on that stoop near the tree on top of the police car, you know, in the hallways with Blue Ivy dancing and, you know, with the other little girls. I mean, she really brought it all together. I think she, she just, she wanted black women to know that she loved them and that she sees them. So it's kind of like, um, you know, an I see you. Um, it's an indigenous phrase. It's like, I see you, which means like, I don't just see you as a person. I see you as a spirit. I see you as my sister or brother. I see you. And so that's like, that's how I see that. That's how, that's what it meant to me. Like a sort of namaste for black women? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like recognition that's validating. That is, you guys are just the greatest. And I have loved this conversation so much. But as we're winding down, um, can we turn it to something just a little bit, shall we say, frivolous? Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what your favorite tracks are. Tarita, favorite limited Ooh. track. 
Oh, one. Okay, you yeah, said just with one, an just one. I'm going to put you on the okay. spot, and then oh, we can oh, later oh, one rank them. The track, it, it's been different tracks at different times, but the one I come back to the most is All Night. I'm going to say All Night. Oh, it's such a beautiful piece. Oh, good choice. Ashley, what's your what's your top track right now? You know, I like, okay, so I think formation, I think formation, um, because it wasn't, it, it didn't hit me in the same way as Lemonade. Um, but when I started to look at lyrics and just look at the name of it, I'm like, okay, let's get in formation. And let's, so it was like, let's get in this line, let's get in this, in this order. But then it was like, let's get information. So let's be studied. Yes. Let's be, let's be studied. Let's be, you know, knowledgeable. Let's be woke. And so I think it was just, even in the name play, like it was just, it, it was brilliant. And maybe she didn't see it that way. Maybe she didn't read into it the way that I did, but I'm like information, like let's get information. Let's educate ourselves. Let's educate each other. Dude, and so as soon as Beyonce <laughs> listens to this, she is totally going to steal that and start incorporating it into interviews. Just wait. <laughs> I did. I saw. I saw little memes, and um, that's just the you know that's the splendor of, of black Twitter and <laughs> black Instagram and black Facebook, where you you get a hashtag and you're like, oh, I'm following, I'm following, and you scroll down and there's something crazy in there, and then there's something you're like, oh, okay, I could use this, you know. Um, but yeah, so hopefully Beyonce listens. Please be. Please. <laughs> How great would that be? Oh. So, uh, just for the record, I'm going to say Don't Hurt Yourself is my favorite okay. track because mm-hmm. she's ferocious, she's angry, I love the way she plays with her voice, and also I'm in love with Jack White. So, there. I said it, I admitted it, it's now public information. Okay, so, do you guys have anything that you'd like to add? Any any recommendations that you'd like to give to our viewers? Viewers, you're thank God you're <laughs> Our <laughs> listeners, our wonderful listeners who put up with my, my slips like this. Uh, Tariva, what's your recommendation for our, our... I almost said viewers again. It's okay. It's fine. Okay. Listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am suggesting an article by the very, very smart, awesome writer, Zandria Robinson. Um, yeah. It's on the Rolling Stone website. And it's called How Beyonce's Lemonade Exposes the Inner Lives of Black Women. And she talks a little bit about this idea of dissemblance, what it means to know what people expect you to be, and you make the intentional effort of being the opposite of that. So if we think about how hypersexualization might have been an early expectation of Black women in pop music, um... Beyonce would put in a lot of effort to be the opposite of that and be very private um, as much as she could about her love life and sexuality. And that changing, the more Beyonce came into herself as a woman, a wife, a mother, a human, and how dissemblance was abandoned for something more transparent, more open, and more loving. So Robinson does a lot with that particular topic and, and talks about the spiritual and emotional lives of black women and how we see that in the visuals and lyrics of lemonade. Awesome. Thank you. And I can attest this article is amazing. You guys are going to want to read it. Ashley, what are you recommending for us? Oh, so many. Um, <clears throat> so first I have the Beyonce's lemonade and black Christian and the black Christian women's um, spirituality article. Um, it is on religion and politics.org. Um, but it's by Candace Bimbo too. And so I just think she really has done a thorough read of the Carters. Um, and I mean, she's, she's definitely a studied woman as my advisor would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just emphasis on, you know, how the, the, how black Christian women, um, kind of grow up watching their mothers, their aunties, their grandmothers, um, kind of performing their spiritual their spiritual um, selves. And, and, and also, it also shows the complexity of 
black women's faith um, and how complicated it can be, um, but how enduring it also is um, and how, you know, how strong it, it also is. Um, and I think it's just a good article where it talks about, you know, just religion and then sexuality and the embodied kind of position of lemonade and what that means. So it's just a really good read of like the symbols and, you know, how black women provide refuge for one another. Um, so this, this idea, these ideas of salvation, redemption, seeking refuge within one another, um, and, you know, the healing community educational, um, aspects of, of, of church and perhaps lemonade the video and the song as, church wherever they are whether you're in your car whether you know you're at home vacuuming the carpet just that kind of vibe um and then i also sent the link for the lemonade syllabus which is you know downloadable and free and it's just really dope and i think it's important for educators to understand that like even if you don't identify as a black woman or a black feminist and you, but you're, you know, it's a good chance or highly likely that your students do. And so being, being culturally relevant and culturally competent is being able to reach into that toolbox that exists. Black women are giving this to you as a resource and showing you and saying, relate with your students on a level that is easy. It's pop culture. It's music we all listen to because everybody listens to Beyonce. Um, and the other article um, I believe was about, you know, just the performances um, and why she put the word feminist in her flawless performance and then Annie Lennox's response to that. Um, because I think that, you know, we are, just as Tariva was saying, we are human. And so Beyonce's not perfect, right? I mean, the intention is, you know, her intentions are always there. And I think she's very good about her intentions um, and not be, you know, Appro uh, appropriating anything in particular, but she's um, open in terms of critique and feedback, and she's not afraid to go to the source. So if it's a, an expert in African traditional religions or in, in you know, condomble or um, syncretic religions, she's going to go to that person, and she obviously did for Lemonade. So I think um, being able to use the Lemonade syllabus and any other syllabus. I mean, there's so many different syllabi. Um, and I guess it's a shameless plug for critical educators or educators <laughs> seeking to relate to their students. But, um, you know, there's a, there was a Ferguson syllabus when, you know, the, the, um, when Michael Brown was, was killed in Ferguson, Missouri, there was a, a Ferguson sil syllabus that talked about, you know, the idea of like police brutality, pow power in place, um, white supremacy and, you know, these sorts of, and riots, race riots, and um, just kind of, and what happens when there's unrest in a community. And I think these are not conversations, to, like these are conversations you cannot avoid because students are impacted. I mean, I just can't imagine what a conversation in Ferguson was like during all of that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, schools are shut down, but what were the conversations after that? Because these children, you know, the children in those in the classrooms in Ferguson had, you know, family members or friends who were impacted by the situation. They could be cousins of the people shot, you know, and so we see it happening, um, you know, or the or the students in Florida, right? So now there's a syllabus for that. So I think it just, you know, you have to listen to what the kids are are saying and what they're interested in and what's bothering them, and bring it to the classroom because it's because they're humans and they're, you know, they, their conversation. Those are sites of learning, um, and for you to relate to them. So um, yeah, I think eliminate syllabus is, is one easy way to look at. Um, black feminism. It's one way to look at, um, you know, history and where she's coming from. And a lot of really good people, really smart um, experts put their, you know, recommendations and their work into that. So Bimbo did a good job of doing that as well. Um, or Bimbao. I really just don't want to butcher her name. But so those are, th that's it for me. Um, <laughs> right, that's it. <laughs> um, my recommendation is actually going to be Beyonce uh, for the Shriver Report. It's a little, a very short piece that she wrote for them. It was on gender equality. It was a 
a collection, and her piece is called Gender Equality is a Myth. And it came out early enough in her career, uh, like in the, in the Beyonce uh, eponymous album era, to, to show this is where her mind was. Uh, she was trying to engage in, in these things, and it wasn't just girl power, corporate capitalist appropriation of feminism. So, all of that said, thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page, review us on iTunes, and check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison, and Ellen Peterson is our new intern. For Tariva and Ashley, I'm Laurie. Tune in next time when we'll discuss the Christian patriarchy movement. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love.